My wife and I are currently in the middle of moving. We are finally done with apartment living. We're sick of it. We found a cute little house not too far away. We signed our lease, we got our keys. And last week, we started to move all of our stuff in. Luckily for us, our old lease doesn't end for another month. That gives us plenty of time to move everything in. But no matter how much time you have or how much planning you do, moving scatters you. Everything we own is scattered. Half of our things are in our new house and half of our things are in our old apartment. This makes it very difficult to do all sorts of everyday tasks. For example, we only have one set of dishes out, which means every time we eat, we immediately have to do the dishes or else next time we will have nothing to eat on. It'll probably be easier for us if we just got paper plates. I cannot wait until we are done moving, until all of our things are gathered together in one place. All of us feel scattered from time to time. Some of us have scattered days, others have scattered weeks. Maybe like us, you have a scattered month. And most of the time, this scattered feeling is harmless. It's just inconvenient. But there are some times, however, when feeling scattered is a little more dangerous, when it can threaten our very lives. Take, for example, the growing problem in this country of distracted driving. According to the latest report from the Center for Disease Control, each day in the United States, approximately nine people are killed and more than a thousand are injured in crashes resulting from distracted driving. That's thousands of lives every year that are changed because we won't put down our phones and focus. Or you can look, for example, at the growing eviction epidemic in our country. The eviction lab at Princeton University recently reported that there are about four evictions every minute in America. That's more than 6,000 people every day. And most of these are families with young children who for whatever reason fall on hard times and can't make the rent. Many of them too are elderly people on fixed income who are one bad medical bill away from losing their home. Studies show that eviction has a domino effect. It can result to poor health outcomes, job loss, depression, and a host of other ailments. It has been 10 years since the housing market crash, but still today there are people who are underemployed and living beyond their means. They're scattered. And then there are the more subtle forms of feeling scattered. The things that we live with that we don't notice. Many of us have scattered identities. We're one person on Sunday morning at church and another person nine to five during the week and then maybe even another person at home, another person with our friends. Every week I meet with someone out in the community who shares with me that they're trying desperately to connect the Christian faith they profess with their nine to five job during the week. 
They want to work for Christ's kingdom, but they feel instead like they are working for kingdoms of men. None of us intend to live scattered lives. This particular scattering of our identities is the result of the secularizing culture we live in. We're forced to be different people at different times. All this scattering in our society, in our lives, in our everyday experiences, we might be tempted to think this is new, a product of our digital age, our disconnected age. But the truth is, none of this is new. We've been scattered for a really long time. All of these feelings, they're really symptoms of a deeper scatteredness, a scatteredness that pervades our world. See, there's been a scattering power actively trying to pull apart creation for millennia. Christians call this scattering power sin. And sin, the ultimate scattering force in our world, it comes from the most counterintuitive place. Sin is the result of human attempts to gather ourselves. Let me repeat that for you, that's important. Sin is the result of human attempts to gather ourselves. To understand this truth, we have to go back to the very beginning, to the beginning of time, beginning of creation, the beginning of Holy Scripture. In the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, we have God creating all things, gathering us out of the chaos of the world, setting the world in a certain order, in a certain way. He places our first parents, Adam and Eve, in a garden and asks them, asks them to care for it, to gather creation in this place, Eden. And then Genesis 3 happens. Our first parents decide to try and gather things themselves. They reject the way that God had gathered the world and instead set out on their own. And as a result, we are all scattered. Our relationship with God, relationships between men and women, relationships with humanity and creation, we are all scattered. From Genesis 3 on, the entire biblical story can be summarized with this very simple pattern this constant dynamic, this ever-present cycle. Humans try to gather themselves, and then we are scattered. And then we try to gather ourselves again, and then we are scattered. On and on and on. My favorite example of this comes from Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. There we have all of the people in the world getting together, in order to build a fortress, a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? Genesis 11, verse 4, so that they will not be scattered anymore. They're trying to gather themselves. And then what happens? God confuses their language, and then they are scattered. Why? Because no matter how much we try, we cannot gather our lives. We were never made to gather our own lives. We need a creator, someone greater than ourselves who will gather us. The good news that we see in scripture, beginning in the Old Testament, is that God has not abandoned his creation to the scattering forces of sin. 
Even in the Old Testament, God launches his rescue plan to gather all of creation to himself. The people of Israel were chosen to be the place where all of creation would gather together in worship in Jerusalem. It begins with God gathering Abraham out of his motherland. It continues when Moses gathers the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. Israel is given the law and the promised land. Why? So that they may be a light to the scattered nations of the world. So that everyone would see Israel and know there is a God who wants to gather them. There was a time in the history of Israel where God himself was their gatherer. In the period of the book of Judges. And this was great until that pattern and cycle of sin emerged again. People tried to gather themselves. The people of Israel demanded a king in the book of 1 Samuel. They wanted a human gatherer, someone they could look to who would gather all of them together. They didn't want God to gather them. Here again, those scattering powers of sin are at work. They're threatening to pull the people of God apart. But then, God does something amazing, something wonderful we don't expect. God humors his people. He listens to them. He gives them a human king, someone who will gather them. But it's not the person they expect. He gives them a young shepherd boy named David. The story of David is so familiar to us that we often miss how remarkable it really is. Think of all the examples of human gatherers, leaders, people who bring people together, military leaders, merchants, parents, priests, teachers, politicians. God doesn't choose any of these people. He chooses an animal herder a dirty person who spends their day outside watching animals, gathering them together. But not just any animal herder, a sheep herder, a shepherd, a person who gathers the stupidest animals on the face of the earth. Why didn't God choose a cowboy, someone on a horse with a gun and a lasso? That'd be so much cooler. That's not who he chooses. And from that moment on, Israel's ultimate model for kingship, all leadership, is the lowly shepherd. And it is under this shepherd boy, King David, that God's people are gathered together. The 12 tribes unite. It's the closest any human people of God gets to being gathered. But sadly, even that fails. People of Israel disobey God. Israel's kings try to gather God's people themselves, and then they are scattered. Our Old Testament reading this morning from the prophet Ezekiel is God's condemnation of the sinful shepherds of Israel. See, rather than feeding them God's people, Israel's shepherds' kings are feeding themselves. They're taking the food that was meant to feed God's sheep and they're getting fat on it. They're eating the best of it. They are selfish shepherds. 
And because of their selfishness, God will scatter them. And then God's people, the flock, will be left to the wolves. This is exactly what happens. God's people are scattered. They're exiled from the promised land. But they are not without hope. See, there's another prophet in the Old Testament, the last prophet, the prophet Zechariah. He proclaims that one day these exiled people will be gathered again. But not by any human leader. No, God himself will gather Israel. Zechariah chapter 12 says that God will raise up another shepherd king from the house of David. And this shepherd king will gather all people to himself. He will do what no other human leader could do. Unlike the sinful kings who scattered the people of Israel, this shepherd king will give his life for God's sheep. That's the hope that exiled Israel is left with, this scattered people. And then along comes Jesus of Nazareth. In our gospel reading from John 10, Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. This is such a familiar image to us. It's easy for us to overlook this short, insignificant statement. Many of us probably have a picture in our home of Jesus, the shepherd, with a bunch of sheep, a very pastoral, pleasant scene, very sentimental. But the truth is that in these words, I am the good shepherd, the entire biblical story, the entire story of Israel, the entire story of creation is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The creator God has come among us. He has taken on flesh in order to gather all people to himself. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He does what no other human could do. He gathers all people to himself. How? How is Jesus able to do this? Why is he able to gather when all other shepherds scatter? What makes Jesus a good shepherd? John chapter 10 gives us three things that make Jesus different. The first one is in verse 12. Jesus, the good shepherd, cares for the sheep because he owns them. As we say every week at the offertory, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thy own have we given thee. We may act like we own things, like everything we have we earned and we deserve, but the truth is that everything we have is on loan from God. He has made us stewards. He's entrusted us to care for things. We don't own it. We are hired hands, each one of us. We are given a task by the owner of creation to care for it. But Jesus is no hired hand. Jesus cares for creation because he owns it. He does what a hired hand could never do. He loves us. He owns us. And because of this, Jesus, the good shepherd, is able to gather us in. Second thing that makes Jesus different, verse 14. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep intimately. Now, in order to care for something, in order to love someone, you have to know something about them. 
Hired hands only know enough to do their job. All they really care about is getting that paycheck. They don't seek to understand. They don't want to deeply know. But Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And because of this, Jesus is able to care for us better than anyone else can. Jesus gathers us in. He knows us. He loves us. He owns us. But the final, the third, the most important thing that makes Jesus different is right there in verse 11. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. See, all previous shepherds, all previous leaders, kings, they merely managed the power of sin. They managed the scatteredness. But Jesus defeats them. Through his death, Jesus has taken on the scattering forces of the world and he has overcome them. They have no more power over us. Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for his sheep because he owns us. He knows us. He loves us. He does not permit us to be scattered by the forces of sin. Instead, he chooses to bear the cross. And through this cross, when he is lifted up, he gathers all people to himself. It is amazing that this shameful instrument of torture and death becomes the shepherd's staff of the good shepherd. It's this cross that gathers us in. Every Easter season, the church reads this text from John 10, this good shepherd text. And for good reason. It reminds us the purpose of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not just to defeat sin, not just to show us his love, but ultimately to gather all people to himself under the gracious care of the good shepherd. Everyone you've ever known, everyone you ever will know, friends, loved ones, coworkers, the distracted driver who cut you off in traffic, that person who's being evicted in your neighborhood, all people scattered by sin, the good shepherd wants to bring in. And this, friends, is good news. This is what our scattered world needs to hear. There is a gatherer, and he has come, and by his cross, he is bringing us together. That's what the church is. Us, the church, we are the community who has been gathered under the care of the good shepherd. So if this is who we are, and this is who our shepherd is, how do we live? How should we respond? What does it mean to live lives under the care of the good shepherd? Well, really, it's rather simple. We have to give up. We have to give up on our prideful attempts to gather ourselves. Remember where the story began. Sin came into the world because of human attempts to gather ourselves. The entirety of human history is this endless cycle of gathering and scattering, gathering and scattering. But Jesus has ended the cycle. Jesus has broken it. We are set free. He has gathered us to himself. 
And yet, so many of us insist on doing things our own way. We insist on trusting in ourselves, trusting in our own competences, our own accomplishments. We fool ourselves into believing that we can overcome the scattered things in our lives. But we can't. We never could. Jesus can. Jesus has already done it for us. The only question is, will we let go? Will we let him be our good shepherd? There's perhaps nothing I hate more personally than being scattered. See, I am an organized person. I'm the person who is Mr. Reliable, the guy who arrives on time, who gets things done, the guy you can count on, the guy with answers, that's me. Except for this week. This week, I was so scattered. And in so many little insignificant ways, the Lord Jesus humbled me. I burned a dinner a couple times. I accidentally tripped and hurt my ankle. I've been late to appointments and I've missed appointments. I've even thrown out things that were supposed to go to the new house and brought garbage to the new house that was supposed to be thrown out. And I could try and blame it on moving, on feeling scattered, but the truth is, it's all my fault. I was trying to gather myself. I was trying to be competent, to be the guy. I was trying to protect my pride and do things on my own. And each time, the Lord humbled me, and I heard his voice very clearly. Brian, will you let me be your good shepherd? Are you going to do things your own way? Will you let me love you and care for you? I've already given you everything you have and everything you need. Will you trust me? Will you let me care for you? And by Thursday, I gave up. I was done. I said, yes, Jesus, you are my good shepherd. I cannot gather my scattered life. By your death and resurrection, you have already brought me in. I let go. Today, friends, each one of us is asking the same question that God asked me. Will you let me be your good shepherd? You can't gather yourself. Stop trying. Jesus has already done it. Will you let me be your good shepherd? It is so much easier to just say yes. Will you let me be your good shepherd? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.